If you've got a Bible, I hope you do. Colossians chapter 3, we've been working our way through this uh, little wonderful letter. And uh, after last week, I've been cooking and cleaning all week and uh, taking care of my stuff, talking about the ladies last week and some of the men as well. Um, I heard about a preacher that's giving out little crosses to all the married couples. And he said, uh, take this cross, put it in the room that you fight the most. And then as you fight, you look to that cross and it's a reminder of how you should act and how you should treat your spouse while you're disagreeing with them. So the next week, the lady came back, and she came back and says, Sir, can I have five of those crosses? And he says, Five crosses? Are you going to give them out to your friends that work that well? And she said, No, we have six rooms in our house. I need five more to put in every room. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you think about it, if you look through this letter, hopefully you've been tracking week by week, because uh, it's been a wonderful study. Um, it's been a study we started, and it's just uh, every week seems to get greater and greater. I mean, every week it just seems to be adding... Um, you know, to, to the purpose of it and the meaning of it. And the overall theme of this letter is that Jesus is preeminent. That when you come to Jesus Christ, we never have to, we never have to apologize. We never have to try to explain who he was or what he did. His testimony, his witness, his character, his nature, um, his mood, how he treated others. Um, he is absolutely preeminent in creation, preeminent in all things. He is the God-man. He was Jesus Christ. Paul said he's better and greater than anything and everything. And that in that, we have an opportunity to become in Christ. That through salvation, when we accept Jesus Christ, now we are in who he is. What he did for us. It, it's a, he was a substitute for us on the cross. So, he is preeminent, He is great, He is righteous, and then we by faith, we trust in Jesus Christ, we become in Christ. So our standing before God is no longer our own standing, but it is the standing of the preeminent Jesus Christ. And then in that, Paul, uh, Jesus says that the mystery, or the mystery of it all, is that you are in Jesus, and then Jesus is in you, the hope of glory, that after we come to know Christ, now the indwelling Spirit of Christ comes and lives in our heart. So Christ is preeminent. We are in Christ, and then Christ is in us. And as he explains our salvation that way, he explains it in 1 and 2. We see chapters 3 and 4 are just a result of that radical transformation that happens in a life. And it's a radical transformation of our hearts, and it's a radical transformation of our behavior as well. So in our salvation, Christ radically trans transforms our uh, salvation through forgiveness and righteous standing before God. He radically changes our personal behavior and actions. In the beginning of chapter 3, we, saw, we see we are to put off the old man and the works of the flesh. We work through things like lying and lust and all the other things of the old man. Then we are to put on the new man, which is basically the fruit of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace. And so he radically transforms our personal behavior. So anything before that is just legalism. If you try to have chapters 3 and chapters 4 without chapters 1 and 2, it's just a legalistic, it's a religious attempt to reach God by your holiness. And guess what? You're never going to do that. That's never going to happen. So, But because of chapters 1 and 2, now we have this lordship in our life. We have a surrendering of our heart to a God who has transformed our lives that will transform our behavior from the inside out. And it started with the old man, went to the new man. 
Then we, last week we talked about how it transforms our marriages. Um, we're going to go through every relationship you can, you can have in your life. It begins with your marriage. As we submit to God and to love God like He loves us. And, this, and then today we're going to see how it transforms our children and our parent relationship. And, uh, and without a doubt, this is one of the most difficult and challenging things to do, is to raise a child. Um, some people say children make a rich man poor, but the truth is it can make a poor man rich, right? Um, and, and I guess this really hits hard for me because this week, you know, we celebrate two birthdays in our house. Um, both of my boys, 18 years old. I guess one's a man now. He's 18. Uh, 18 years old and 16 years old. Um, so it, it, for me to look back at this and to look at the way it happened, you know, there's a lot of things I look and I see that I could enjoy and a lot of things that I feel like I failed at as a parent as well. So it's always a difficult thing to do. It's a hard process to really look back because you tend to be critical on yourself. You tend to blame yourself. You can tend to um, take things too personal or to look to this way. But when you really understand who you are in Christ and you really understand the things you want to do, when Paul comes and addresses the letter here, it's really is, it really is encouraging. And so Colossians 3, 20 and 21 uh, says this, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So Paul begins with the children. And I find this encouraging because, you know, in the church there, you would see children in church. Because if they're going to read this letter in a public event, like public place like church, um, the, the children were there. So Paul writes this as children were present in the church, which is a great thing. Families coming to church together means something, you know. Having your kids here, having your kids a part of the church means something. So Paul is addressing the children directly. And it shows that in the early church, meetings of the whole family were present and that children were a part of it, and their children were part of, part of the service as well. And uh, so he comes, he says, obey your parents. Uh, the Greek word here literally means to hear under someone. Thus, children are exhorted to listen to their parents, recognize that they are over them, and have authority in their lives. And, uh, you know, I have a feeling this verse was written in our modern-day society. It read something like this, children... I mean, uh, parents obey your children and make them happy at all costs, all right? Because this is uh, radically different than what we see in the modern home. Uh, in our culture, it has become popular for the parents to become friends or buddies with their kids rather than the authority figure in their life. Um, it's not cool to be the parent that says no to things in your home or your house, right? And, uh, you know, you'll hear it from your kids. I've heard it from mine several times. You know, they don't do this at their house. But I say, well, you don't live at their house. You live at our house, right? This is our rules. We are the authority, right? Um, and, and, you know, for our culture as well, uh, kids may not want to listen to their parents. Their parents may not want to do those things. But in what the Bible says, the case that the Bible makes is that God has established an authority. It is for the children to obey their parents, and the beginning, if you think about it, this is purpose because the beginning of this authority really is the beginning of the authority of God in their lives. You know, a lot of times for us as parents, when we hold our children accountable, it is a signal or a point. Or we are pointing to an authority higher than themselves. It begins with us as parents, but ultimately leads with God. That God is the authority, and as they are obedient to their parents, they're really being obedient to God, which Paul, Paul is going to break down here in a minute. 
But when we are not obedient to our parents, then it breaks down every relationship in society. If you find someone that's disobedient to police officers, disobedient to school teachers, disobedient to the government, disobedient to people in authority or charges, most of the time you can track that back to that child being disobedient to their parents. And, and it's, a, it's a staple in society that God has made, not, and not just because of value, because every child is valuable, every parent is valuable, much like we talked about in the marriage relationship the husband is not more uh, is not is not above the wife. They are equal in value. Children are equal in value to parents and to older people. But God, as a set of order and as a set of function, it is the child who obeys the parent. The parent has the uh, authority over the child. First and foremost, the child will not respect God or others, or authorities when there is problems in the home and the authority of the parents are not, is not encouraged or nurtured in the home and they do not respect their parents, so they will not respect any other authority figure in their life, including God. So when he says, children, obey your parents, he's saying, look and live under the authority of your parents in all things. Now, this is tough because it's not just the things that you want to do or the things that you like to do. All right, in all things. And for us, if you really look at it as parents, one of our jobs for our children to learn is that life's not all about what they want to do, right? Listen, if, if we only did what we want to do, how successful we would be in life. As a child submits to the authority of their parents, they learn life's not all about you, that you have authority, you have things you will do that you will not like, that you might not enjoy. But you have to do those things. You have to obey. You have to do those things in all things. And it's not about you. And it's not going to be everything you like to do or everything you want to do. And for a child, the ultimate reasoning that Paul uses is the same reasoning he uses in the home. The same reasoning he uses for us as Christians is that it is well-pleasing to the Lord. So as a Christian child or under the authority of God, under the authority of your parents, the ultimate bottom line is that you obey your parents because it's pleasing to God. It's not that you're, and then we said this with the husband and wife relationship as well, it's not that your parents are perfect. It's not that your parents deserve to be obeyed in all things. It's not that you're going to like it or you're going to want to do it, but it's because the Lord says to do it. And it's pleasing to the Lord. And if you're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when you submit to your parents and you submit to their authority in your life and you obey them, it is a great testimony to your relationship with God that you're obedient to your parents and you bring glory to the name of the Lord. And the results of that's pretty clear. Uh, even for the kids who don't like to do it, when you think about it, the results of being obedient is one, it teaches you respect. It's, it's respect for your parents and it's respect for everyone else in, in authority. It teaches you righteousness and holiness. There are going to be wants, needs, and desires that children have that are not good for them. You know, there are things on the internet. There are things in real life. There are people that are going to try to pull them in. And when you, when you don't listen to your parents, you will fall into unrighteousness and unholiness. It will cost you things in your life. It might cost you your purity. It might cost you your, your time. It might cost you money. It might cost you a lot of innocence in your life. So as children, you obey your parents. It teaches you respect. It teaches you righteousness and holiness. And it also gives you wisdom. It gives you wisdom because your parents have made some of the same mistakes you're going to make. 
Dr. Lindsay, who was a pastor of First Baptist Jacksonville, used to always say, life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Learn from someone else, <laughs> right? That's so true. We don't have to make, uh, you don't have to go down the same road your parents went down. You don't have to go down the same thing. And, and when a parent comes to you as a child and it tells you to do things or to obey certain ways, it's because they've been there before and they have the wisdom to know where, the, where it's going to lead at, in the end. And so for us as kids, when we obey our parents, it brings us respect, it brings us righteousness, and it brings us wisdom in those things. And not because we want to, but because it was well-pleasing to the Lord. Now listen, this is not forced. This is not coerced. This is a matter of lordship. That as you submit to God and under his authority, you submit to your parents, and it is well-pleasing to the Lord. So Paul now moves from the children, moves to the fathers. And I say fathers in general because he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, the word here translated for fathers is really a generic term. Uh, in the original Greek language, there was not, a, there was not a, a gender identity there. It was more generic term for parents in general. Um, so it could really easily read in the English language, parents do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So it's not like it's just a dad thing. It's also a mom thing as well. It's a parent thing. And, and, and if you think about it, it says, parents, do not provoke your children. This is a command for you not to do something, right? This is a command that Paul is giving to say, do not do this. And when you get to the word provoke, uh, a Greek dictionary translates it this way, exasperate. Uh, it also means to make very angry or impatient. To annoy greatly, uh-oh, I failed that one, because uh, I do like to annoy my kids pretty well. Uh, to stir up, to arouse, or irritate, um, to the point of feeling despondent. Uh, so this is more than just, you know, ca casual people being upset. Like we said, children are going to feel irritated. Discipline will do that to them. Doing things they don't like will do that to them. But this is a constant seeking of uh, putting your child down to the point where he becomes despondent. Like, why even try? Why do I even care? Because my parents are never going to be happy. They are always on me, and they become despondent to the point that they just want to give up. Uh, and it's a present continuous tense in the Greek, which means it's constantly happening 24-7 in every area of their life. So if you think about it, uh, you know, you think about three things that parents do to, uh, to provoke your children. One is for parents to ignore them. If you really want to uh, have a child that really has a deep-seated um, aggravation or a feeling of a despondency, um, make no time for your child. If you do not spend time for your child with your child and you ignore them and you, um, you, you never have anything to do with them, uh, they become to feel unimportant, and they become to feel worthless, and they feel like they're not worth sp someone spending time with them. And uh, this is easy for kids in our generation to do this as well, um, as in our generation we're trying to raise because of video games and their phone. Um, many times you see children just fall back, get on their phone, or get on an Xbox, or get on whatever, and just really withdraw from everything in the family just because they feel like no one really cares about them, or that they feel like they've been ignored. And it's easy to ignore them when they do that, by the way, uh, because they're quiet, right? And you don't have to deal with them. So if you come home and you're tired, 
you don't really want to deal with them, but they're on the phone or doing something else, you're like, ah, okay, they're good, I'm good, right? <laughs> it's an easy trap to fall into, but you can't do that. Put your phone down, get off your Xbox, get off your stuff, come and talk, let's think about it, let's think about it, because it's, it's easy to ignore them, and when you do that, it eventually seeks to the point where it gets resentment to where they feel unimportant, unimportant and they feel worthless. So if you're going to sometimes uh, provoking a child is to ignore them, sometimes ignore, uh, provoking a child is to, um, is to indulge your children. So rather than not spending time with them or just ignoring them, you indulge them. You give them everything they ever ask for. And to me, this is really a danger as well in our society because we do have a lot of material things. And, and what happens is, in a relationship like that, is every time a child wants something, they equate things and possessions with love, which is not the same thing. Because things and possessions can come and go, and eventually things and possessions will leave you restless and dissatisfied, but yet children need direction. They need guidance. They need, um, they need uh, you know, closeness with their parents. They don't need superficial indulgence. You're having a bad day. Let me go buy you something. I don't want to talk to you about it. I don't want to walk you through it. Let me just buy you something. You broke up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Let me just buy you something new that makes you feel better because we feel like if we just indulge them enough, give them enough stuff, then they will finally feel like they are worthy, which we know indulgence will always create a deep-seated, even sometimes a lifelong feeling that possessions will make you happy, which we know they never do. So one, that's one source is to ignore them. Second source is to indulge them. Third source is to insult them. And uh, this one is where you get to the point where you call them names, you put them down all the time, and you get to a point where they are verbally abused to the point where they say, why should I even try anymore? They become discouraged and they put off your respect, your authority, and they even put off the things of God because they feel like if I can't please my parents, then why should I even try to please God, you know? And so when we insult them, we put them down, we call them names, we call them every name in the book, Paul's saying, don't go down this path. If you're going to avoid this, I was reading this book, six things that really give you good things you need to demonstrate in your parenting if you really want to be a great parent. I think they're really great things. Um, if you want to write them down, you can mark them down. I could also um, learn these in my life. Uh, I think you could always learn these things. I think you always grow in these things. Six things that challenged me as well. Um, number one, first and foremost, we need to teach our children about God. If we're going to be responsible parents that God has given to our children, it must begin with teaching them about God. That the church is not, that's not their number one priority. It's not the priority of the schools, not the priority of the government. It's not just put them in a Christian school. It's not just put them here, put them there. It's for the parents to teach their children about God. That's the first and foremost thing as a parent for us to teach him about, teach him about God and about his word. If we want our children to be successful, if we want our children to be lovers of God, if we want our children to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we must teach that. We must share with them. We must take that as our responsibility. And let me tell you, this one will be the challenge of most of them, uh, most of all, because this is the most sacred, right? This will be the one that's the most challenging. If you don't believe me, try to pray with your kids at night. 
all right? Everything in the world will happen, right? Or try to read Scripture with them or sit down for dinner for them and sit down for dinner and try to explain to them or share Christ with them or do those things. Everything in the world will come against you when you try to do this, but it's the most important. It's the most sacred. You must never give up on it. You must constantly be conscious that for us as parents, one of our best things we can do to demonstrate to our kids is to teach them about God, that we must be, we must be intentional about that. And as we do that, we can share the love of Christ with them. And what better goal could it be for you than to say, I've had three kids or four kids or two kids or one kid and say, both of them have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What a great goal. And to know about God. So number one, we teach our kids about God. Number two, demonstrate to them an unconditional love. Now, if we think about it, we need to love our kids like God loves us. That doesn't mean we accept everything. Just because God unconditionally loves us doesn't mean he accepts everything. A lot of people do things and say things and live a certain way and say, well, God loves me unconditionally. It doesn't matter. It does matter because he may love you unconditionally, but it doesn't mean he accepts everything that you're doing, right? He, he is not okay with all that you He's not accepting of all those things. So for us, unconditional love is not just accepting everything your child does. It is a, it's an unconditional love that our child knows that wherever they are, wherever they may be, the relationship between you and your child will never be changed. Never. Doesn't matter how successful they become or doesn't matter how much of a failure they become. You will always be their dad. You will always be their mom. They will always be your son. And that relationship between you and them will never, ever be changed no matter what. That's your child. It will always be your child. And they can know no matter how far they go or how far they fall, they will always be your child. One of the greatest illustrations of meaning in the Bible is the, uh, is the prodigal son. You know the story. The father goes out. The son leaves. He demands all his stuff. He goes, and he goes into the pig pen. He gets down in the pig pen. He's actually working there, and uh, that's where it always will lead you, right? Sin will always lead you to the pig pen. But he's down there. He's working. He's going to town. He's, he's uh, doing everything he thought he would ever want to do, but then all of a sudden he's end up you know, in the worst place of his whole life, and it says at the end, he comes to himself and he says, I will arise and go where? To my father's house. That's what he says. I will arise and go to my father. And if you know the story, the father is out seeking and looking every single day for his child to return. He sees the child coming back, and what does he do? He runs to him. He accepts him. Listen, that's what unconditional love is. The father didn't go down and get in the pig pen with him. But he did know that no matter what, wherever he been, wherever he has been, or whatever he has ever done, he could always go back to his father because that would never change. And that's unconditional love. Here's another saving that I learned when I was growing uh, when I was growing up and never forget. Rules without relationship brings rebellion. Rules without relationship brings rebellion. That means that if your child does not know you have a relationship with him as a father and, or a mother, as unconditional love, as you put rules on them or you to be authority in their life, it will always bring rebellion. Always. It, it's, it's that you must have the relationship and they must know that you love them, you care for them, and then as you do that, you can have authority in their life and as that, that just brings that part of it. But without relationship, rules always brings rebellion. Always does. So anyways, for us to remember, teach our children about God, demonstrate to them unconditional love. Then also we need to demonstrate to our children to be authentic. 
like one of the biggest harms of especially Christians is that we're not authentic. They see us treat and act to certain people one way, and then when we get home, we treat and act to them a totally different way. And it's, it's true because when you think of a word hypocrite in the Bible, the word hypocrite means a play actor. And for us, when we act a certain way around some people, but then when we get home, we're around other, our kids and our family, you know, it shows them a dual-sided part of it. Nothing destroys the damage or damages a child's view of God and other people than a phony mom or dad that says they're a Christian but does not live it out in their life. And it's hard to do because we do make mistakes and we will fail. There are things that I've said in front of my kids about people and things that I would never say in front of some of y'all. I'm not going to tell you who you are, but anyhow, but <laughs> just kidding. I had to see if you guys were awake. They go to the second service, not the first service, all right? <laughs> uh, there you go. But if you think about it, for us, it's hard. And, and here's, where I, here's where I really feel like Here's where I really feel like this is really most important, is be willing to admit when you're wrong. You're not perfect, but if you act like a parent and you act like you never do anything wrong and you're never willing to repent, you're never willing to tell your kids, hey, listen, I messed up. I lost my cool. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I shouldn't have said that about that person. I've asked God to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. Listen, I know as parents it's tough. Especially when you're looking at, you know, a, a kid that's 16 years old or 18 years old or 10 years old, 11 years, whatever. And you feel like you want to keep this authority figure. And you, but let me tell you, being real, being authentic, it doesn't diminish your authority in your life. It will actually help your authority in their life. Because they see that you're not phony. They see that you make mistakes. They see that you may have failed, but yet you're willing to repent. You're willing to say, I'm sorry. You're willing to say, I don't want to do those things. But what really hurts our relationships when we say one thing and do another, and we never admit when we're wrong. We never say we're sorry. We never say, hey, let's try again. I've, I've messed up. Because there's a lot of people you can fool in this world. You can come to church. You can dress up. You can look smiley. You can act happy at work. But you can't fool your kids. Your kids are there with you. They know exactly how you are. And when you demonstrate an, an inauthentic life, it's really damaging to them. You got to be true. You got to be authentic. So halfway through, we got three out of the six. Children, teach your children about God. <clears throat> demonstrate them unconditional love and be authentic. We also need to demonstrate constructive discipline. You don't discipline your child because you're angry. You don't discipline them just to discipline them. It must be constructive. It's got to be constructive because the goal of discipline, even from God, is to restore your fellowship. It's not to punish you. Like, like a lot of people think when God punishes someone, it's that he's wanting to destroy them. No, he's wanting to correct them. He's wanting to restore them. Like, like the goal of a godly discipline is restoration, not destruction. And for us, when we discipline our kids sometimes, that's why it's a very fine line in between discipline and just abuse, right? Because sometimes we might cross the line that if it's not constructive, then it's just abuse. So for us, we need to be sure that as we discipline our children, it's constructive. It's not just punishment. It's correction and instruction. It's, it's bettering them. It's not making them feel worse. It's a disservice when we fail to lovingly correct, correct behavior 
And for us to do that in their life in a way that just brings them punishment because they feel like every time they get something wrong, they're just going to get the boom lowered on them. But yet, if we constructively discipline them, it will help them later down the road. It will help them understand how God disciplines us, how the world may see those things. And for us as a Christian, it, must, it takes discipline. I know a lot of people, because of this uh, abuse or because of an overreach of parents' authority and discipline in people's life, they went away from disciplining kids at all. But, but let me tell you, a loving parent must discipline their child. It's a command from God, and it's a command that they need because kids need discipline. They need loving rebuke. They need loving someone in a loving way, constructively discipline them so they know how to live. I said this before, you know, if you see kids, I mean, they do all sorts of crazy things. We were thinking about over the 18 years of Tucker's life and over 16 years of Tanner's life, we was thinking of a lot of the crazy things that they do and all the different things they've done. And, uh, you know, just going through some of those things, just funny what kids do, you know. And uh, one of their enjoyments is when they get alone with my dad, my dad starts telling them stories. And uh, some of them are true, some of them are not true. <laughs> I always tell them, for me, the ones that are good are true. The ones that are bad are not true. (laughs) But I remember when I was a kid, I remember going to school, and uh, I thought it would be real cool for some reason to glue some of the books together, you know, with with glue. The only problem was we were using those books the next period, so when they opened up, the glue was still wet. It wasn't really hard to figure out who put the glue in the books, you know. But I remember coming home, my mom and my dad talking to me and disciplining me. You can't glue books together, son. You're destroying people's property, you know. So I had to pay for it and get constructively disciplined because I did something dumb. Kids do dumb things, right? They just, they do dumb things. They need to be constructive discipline. They need to be disciplined. Don't get me wrong. If you don't discipline your child, constructively discipline, it's a disservice. But as you constructively discipline your children, make sure it's for the purpose of restoration. Make sure it's for a purpose of building them up in instruction and not just punishment. Punishment without Correction and instruction is just abuse. So as you constructively discipline your children, we need to do that with discipline. We need to do that to be sure that we do those things. So teach your children about God. Show them unconditional love. Demonstrate them authenticity, uh, being authentic faith in Christ. Uh, also demonstrate them constructive discipline. Five, spend time with them. Children spell love. T-I-M-E. It's the time. And you think about it, I was reading just this week, I said a stat that was given that most parents spend less than 15 minutes a week of quality time with their own children. 15 minutes a week. Most of them less than that. I said, when you get home, make sure your children are a priority in your life. If you have to, put them on your calendar. Like, hey, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, however, whenever. It's tough in our life because, of course, I, I'm, a, I'm busy a lot as well, but Aaron's busy as well, but we make sure we get together and we eat dinner together. That's a great way for us. Everybody may not be able to do that, but we like to eat dinner together, not because, well, because I do like to eat too, but anyhow, <laughs> because we like to get together <laughs> and we share. We share things like peaks and pits. What's all your peaks this week? What's all your pits this week? What, what's the best part of your life? And it's just, it's good just to sit and eat and listen just for a few minutes and, and over a dinner, over some sort of food. And if you can't do it then, maybe you should do it before you go to bed. If you can't do it then, if you're early risers, you can do it in the morning, whenever. 
but make sure you spend quality time together, that you have time for your children, and you sit down, and you spend time with them, and they know they're a priority in your life. That's why for me, for Aaron as well, it's a priority for us to go to our children's sporting events as well, that I don't care if they're the best player of the team or the worst player on the team, just to be there, just to spend time with them, just to show them that we care about and interested in what they're doing in their life. And, and maybe uh, them as well, whatever they may do in their life, as long as you're there to support and be a part of them, that's important for you to do, uh, for them to know that you just care to spend time and interested in what they do. And listen, it's, this one's tough because a lot of times you only want to do the ones you wanted to go see, <laughs> not the ones you don't. So I'm learning that with Courtney as well, right? So I'll go to a dance studio or I'll go to an art show or I'll go to somewhere like that. Uh, because it's not just the things you like to do, but as your children has these things they like, make sure you get interested in those same things. Like, every child's not going to like everything that you like, but if you show interest in the things that they like, then they know you care for them, that they're, you're a priority in their life, you're willing to learn, you're willing to see what they like and to care what they like. Um, that's why every once in a while I got to go in there and whip Tucker an Xbox. I go in there and show them <laughs> off uh, on the Xbox machine. Uh, whatever it may be, uh, you spend time, quality time, because that's the way they spell love. So last one, we need to pray for our children. And this, for me, more than anyone else, is convicting to me because we need to be prayer warriors for, prayer warriors for our children. And I would say, without a doubt, um, I used to hear this from the old people all the time. And when I say old people, people my age now, right? <laughs> uh, people my age now as well. But without fail, without doubt, you look to our world, you look to our schools, you look to what's happening in our lives today, children are being attacked. They're in a battle. Listen, the, the world and the system of evil has narrowed it down. First, it was after all the men, then it was after the women, and it trickles all the way down. Now they're to kids, teenagers, but now they're even to elementary school kids. Listen, the problems that people have in their life, now that's beginning all the way down to elementary schools, even with phones and internet and apps and Snapchats and all the other things you can imagine, that, that the evil is there and attacking every single day, not just in person, but even through technology now. And for us as parents, we need to be prayer warriors for them. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying over their spiritual life. God, save them. God, let them grow. Let them learn God's word. Let them uh, learn the things of God and scripture and teaching those things and praying for them. And then also, not only that, but uh, Aaron has been faithful to this in, in all three of our kids' lives, praying for their mate one day. Not just for their lives, but who they're going to marry. Because it's so important, not just for who they are, but for also who they're going to marry one day. That you pray for their mate, pray for them as they're being raised, and for their families and their homes, pray for their safety and their protection. I mean, just be a prayer warrior for them. Because for you and for me, what greater privilege is to pray for our own kids? Pray for them by name, pray for them in their spiritual life, pray for them in their physical life, pray for them in protection as well. Do you think about it? For a home that's truly Christian, it should be a place of encouragement. It should be a place where we could come as parents and children from a refuge of the world and from battles out in the world and come together and find strength to go out and to carry the burdens and to keep moving forward in life. That's what it should be. It should be a haven of rest. 
And for me, it doesn't matter how old you are, it still applies the same. As kids, as you have parents, you should honor them, you should respect them, and as parents, you should always be willing to be there with your kids, to find, be a loving heart, to be a watchful eye, to be a listening ear, to be a helping hand, wherever you may do. And you think about it as Paul, as Paul is encouraging, as he's exhorting these things and into our home life, as we look to these things, how is our home life? Because when we have Jesus in our life, it transforms everything. And if it's not where it should be, we need more Jesus there, right? Like, like if our marriage is not where it needs to be, we need more Jesus in our marriage. If our, our parent and our kids and our relationships, our kids aren't right, we need more Jesus in there. And as we seek and we love and we care and we do these things and he radically transforms our life, that's how we pray and we continue to work and we continue to, to obey God. And as we see God change and transform our life, for children, obey your parents in all things. For it is well-pleasing to the Lord, and parents do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray together this morning.